Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Rap. I am Bela Zebrow. We thank Vin News for hosting our show. Courage comes in unique and sometimes unexpected ways. Today, we have the pleasure of meeting a remarkable young woman who went as a single woman, unaccompanied, unguided, unsponsored by any sort of group as a tourist to Afghanistan, It took her six years to save up enough money for that trip. And while there, she decided to not just view the country as a tourist destination, but to help in ways that most would shy away from. Melissa Tumim is a counterterrorism specialist in the propaganda narratives of extremist movements. She holds an MA in nonproliferation and terrorism from the Monterey Institute of International Studies. Prior to that, she spent many years as an investigative journalist and documentary covering Afghanistan and Pakistan. She is currently working to provide humanitarian relief and evacuate dozens of our Afghan allies from Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, and has also begun aiding in the evacuation of vulnerable Ukrainians. In addition to her work on Afghanistan and Pakistan, she has investigated the Muslim Brotherhood's Islamophobia propaganda campaign, as well as manipulations by real estate predators determined to steal the West Los Angeles soldiers' home from our veterans. These same predators are exploiting their government ties to simultaneously commit municide against some of the most desirable business districts in Los Angeles County. She was also on the legal team for the Election Integrity Project California versus California Secretary of State. Her background as an actress and screenwriter provides her with a keen sense of emotional intelligence and media manipulation. Melissa is a candidate to represent California's 32nd Congressional District. Melissa, welcome to the Definitive Wrap. Thank you, Bela. It's really nice to meet you. And, and I'm really grateful for this opportunity to speak to your audience. Um, I love your background, the Israeli flag and the American flag. I have both a hat and a pin with that same image. Because oh, that's wonderful. I, think I would that, love to see it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the, the partnership between America and Israel is really critical for the Jewish people and for the survival of Israel. And that's just a precious thing to me. Yeah. Can you uh, tell us about that trip that you took as a tourist to Afghanistan? What did you see there? And why did it become such an important aspect of your life's work? Well, I had been trying to go for many years. And I finally, you know, just, I had the ability to get away for a few weeks and, and visit the country on my own. The, um, you should have seen the, the consul general in Los Angeles when I sat down with him and he's like, you want to go? You know you have to wear a job while you're there. You know, I'm like, yep, I know. I know. Got to do it. We'll do it. 
you know. And um, I stayed with this wonderful group called Canadian Women for Women in Afghanistan. Um, I had this lovely apartment on the roof of their office and with this huge deck right outside, you know, that I like a patio, but it was a deck, roof deck. But in the corner of the deck, even though this was during essentially peacetime in Afghanistan, this was a really great period. Um, people were thriving. There was construction everywhere. I would try to get people to say something negative about the US. I wanted them to feel at liberty to express their real opinions to me. Right. So I would say to them, you know, a lot of people think that America is only here to steal Afghanistan's resources. And every single time, every person reacted the same way. They would, with a sweep of their arm, point to all of the construction, all the new offices and apartments and new streets and say, all of this is because of, because of America. Wow. And this one guy, he says to me, I love America. I love Americans, I love French and Germanians, I don't like British. But they really were incredibly grateful to us at that time. But on that roof deck in the far corner was a reminder of darker times. There was a rope. There was a rope there in case they had to make a quick exit from the roof. And, and the door into my apartment, it was at the top of the stairs of the office building. So you think it just had, no, it had all kinds of security, a security gate and the door to lock just on this, this apartment for guests. When were you there for the first time? 2012. I'd been trying to go since 2001. In the summer of 2001, I had been doing a lot of research about Afghanistan. This was shortly before 9-11. And um, I had, there, was, there was one gentleman named Ahmed Shah Massoud. And I was hearing different opinions of him. One group would say, oh, he's just a jihadist. He's just a terrorist. And the other group would say, no, he's, he's a hero. He's, he's a patriot. He's, a, he's a very diplomatic. So I thought, well, I'll go to one of these refugee camps in Pakistan and interview refugees and see what they have to say on the subject. And so I was just writing a proposal for a magazine when I went to lunch with my friend who was a, a, a conflict correspondent. She had worked with a, a Los Angeles newspaper for many years covering the conflict in Chiapas, Mexico. And she says to me, Melissa, I think that guy you want to write about was just killed. I'm like, what? Well, this was September 9th, 2001. And in fact, Ahmed Shah Massoud was killed two days before 9-11. Now, flash forward 20 years. And in 2021, his son is leading the resistance movement against the Taliban. Ahmed Massoud, the second, really. Um, and he's working with one of the, the son 
of one of his father's allies as well. So it's, it's really just, it's like we took a trip back in time two decades, except for one thing. 20 years ago, Afghanistan was a broken nation. And what we left behind was a nation that's much stronger than it was. The people are stronger. They've had a lot of freedom. Women have advanced tremendously in the last 20 years and they are not giving this up without a fight. What's going on in Afghanistan now with regard to our Afghan allies? Well, there is a resistance movement, the National Resistance Front, NRF, uh, and there are no, there's another group called the Wolf Brigade. That's uh, that's the that's General Dostum and his son uh, Ahmed Massoud ha heads up the National Resistance Front, and then there are other um, resistance groups around the country. So the media likes to portray the resistance as just being in the north, and this is part of. Pakistani propaganda narratives is to portray Afghanistan as being in a north-south split, but it's not. There's a lot of unity around the country in the opposition to the Taliban. And the other really important thing that I want your audience to understand is the Taliban is not an Afghan movement. The Taliban is a Pakistani proxy force. And I know this because in 1994, when they first entered the country, they had air support and heavy artillery from the Frontier Corps, which is part of the, um, an aspect of the Pakistani military. And when, in, when we went in in 2001, special forces had surrounded the city of Kunduz in the north. And Pakistan asked for permission to airlift out their officers that had been directing the Taliban. So there was a plane, they called it the evil airlift. It was all of this Pakistani brass and, and Taliban leadership leaving the country together. So the Taliban is not an Afghan movement and we should have never negotiated with them. They are not even in charge they are the minions of the Pakistani intelligence services, the ISI, the Inter-Services Intelligence Directorate of Pakistan. So when, when President Trump entered into negotiations with the Taliban, he was really negotiating with the minions of these generals. And you can't negotiate with lieutenants. You have to negotiate with the generals and the state leaders. But Pakistani narratives, Pakistani intelligence wants the world to think that the Taliban is an Afghan movement because they feel they need to control Afghanistan. The reason they believe they need to control Afghanistan is because the border divides the Pashtun people. Just like borders of Iraq and Iran and Turkey divide the Kurdish people, right? The British divided the Pashtun people along the 1600 mile border they call the Durand line because it was drawn by Sir Mortimer Durand who was the British envoy in 1893. 
And because the Pashtun people are partly on one side of the border, partly on the other side of the border, and they've never formally recognized the border, Pakistan believes they have to control Afghanistan in order to keep their own territory intact for fear that the Pashtuns will say, nope, we're breaking away from this thing called Pakistan that's only existed since 1947, and we're rejoining our, our, um, our countrymen in Afghanistan. That's why the Taliban exists. Melissa, the world is shuddering at what is going on in Ukraine now. I understand that you're involved in the evacuations of its citizens. Can you tell us about that? Well, I'm, I'm working with Operation Freedom Birds uh, to help with humanitarian relief and evacuation of Afghans. And because of Freedom Birds' experience with helping Afghan, Afghans, we were able to quickly um, get relief operations going for Ukraine when that became necessary. And then just last week, I found out that uh, one of the women here in America, whose family I'm trying to help uh, escape from, from Pakistan, actually, they've already, they're already in Pakistan. Um, she's a former member of the American military, but she's Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. And she has family that were trapped in, in Ukraine. They were, her family was trapped in Kiev, but uh, now they are, uh, her grandfather, her mother, and her twin sister are now in America. Can you tell us about uh, your investigation of the Muslim Brotherhood's uh, Islamophobia propaganda campaign? Sure. So, um, in 1997, the Runnymede Trust in England published a a very short pamphlet called Islamophobia, a Challenge for Us All. Now, this was a really interesting development for the Runnymede Trust because it was established in the 1960s by a Jewish doctor to fight anti-Semitism. But in the 1990s, members of the Muslim Brotherhood infiltrated the organization and started shifting the mission to be, you know, anti-racism. This was part of Tony Blair's um, administration in in England. So they created this document called Islamophobia, a challenge for us all, in which they took every aspect of Islam that we all find objectionable, for example, um, the the uh, um, encouragement of child, the belief that child marriage is okay. Um, they took all of these things and they turned them on their head. On their head, all of these values that we say no in Western society, we don't believe someone should be executed just because they're gay. We don't believe a girl of six is marriageable or 10 or 12. Um, and yet, so, so the, this pamphlet says, if you believe these things, then you're an Islamophobe. And they were using the term Islamophobia because uh, the gay movement had been, the LGBT movement had been so successful with the term homophobia 
in overcoming prejudice against the gay community. So they decided to try this and it has been remarkably successful. So how this works is whenever there is a terrorist attack, say um, the attack on the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Now, the man who committed that attack was on the phone with 911 while he was committing the attack, declaring his allegiance to Islamic State, saying this was uh, an attack as retribution for the strike against one of the leaders of Islamic State. And yet, the media is afraid to say that this was Islamic terrorism because they don't want to be called racist. They don't want to be called Islamophobes. So they emphasize and they say, oh, you know, he had mental health issues. He was maybe um, had suppressed homosexuality, things like that. They just won't call it what it is. And then like you get the Obama administration and now the Biden administration that won't even let um, our our anti-terrorism, the Joint Terrorism Task Force, the FBI, the CIA, our entire national security establishment is not allowed to use the term Islamism. They're not allowed to say this was Islamic terrorism. They can say something was right-wing terrorism. They can say, oh, this was, um, this was, well, there are no more skinheads. There, there are no more, uh, there's only a few uh, Ku Klux Klan, but let's say it was somebody in the Ku Klux Klan went in and shot up a synagogue because these things do happen occasionally. Um, they'll say that, they'll call that what it is, but they don't dare call Islamic terrorism by its name because they'll be called racist. Right, right. Nobody wants to be called a racist. Yeah. Right. I say that the word has no more meaning. Everything is racist. Snow <laughs> is racist. Yes. Lawn chairs are racist. Yes. So, okay, whatever. Yeah. If it has no meaning, then sure, I, I'm whatever you want to call me. Sticks and stones. <laughs> uh, you're doing much work to end run, runaway production and revive L.A. as the entertainment capital of the world. Please tell us about that. Well, the, um, the entertainment industry in Los Angeles, we've lost so much work so many productions and even film finance to Atlanta and Nashville, Orlando, Dallas. Um, And part of it is because the tax code in California is so onerous, but part of it is because the climate, the, the work environment in Los Angeles is so woke that people are all walking on eggshells. And, and there's like so many requirements there, there's, you know, all of this um, critical race training in the production companies and the studios and, and you have to meet these quotas and you're casting it and it's just absurd. We need to get back to the First Amendment so that we can have you know, just an open creative environment and tell good stories regardless uh, and, and cast the right person for the, the role, whatever right. color, creed, you know, they are, and, and not have to worry about these quotas anymore. Yeah. 
Melissa, you're fighting to secure our southern border to stem the tide of uh, illegal immigration and trafficking. Please explain to our audience what is the danger of the current open borders policy with regard to illegal immigration? Well, part of the danger is human trafficking. To me, that's the worst danger. What's going on, people, people don't understand how the cartels and these coyotes are taking violent advantage of the women and little girls who they are ushering across the border. And the open borders policy encourages this. There are these places along the border called rape trees that are festooned with the torn underpants of women and children who have been raped so that they can get across the border. That's the cost of the last step. And there was, there was a case in December of 2018, uh, the news media was making, a, a, it was a big story about a seven-year-old girl who died in uh, border patrol custody. Now she had crossed the border with her father and they were on a bus that they were with a group that border patrol pulled over, stopped, and they were being bused in groups to the detention center. And they had been waiting there several hours. And this little girl was very, very sick. And her father hadn't spoken up about her being sick until it got so bad that Border Patrol brought in a helicopter to evacuate her to the hospital. She died four times on the helicopter and they kept, they revived her four times. But the question is, how did this little girl get sepsis? That's what she died of, sepsis. Well, that suggests that, that her intestines were perforated or that she was infected, you know, like that she had been scratched and infected with thorns by cactus along the way. But I believe this little girl had been raped by the coyotes and that's how she got sepsis. And that true story needed to be told instead of the propaganda narrative, which suggested that border patrol was responsible for her death. When in fact the border patrol officers did everything they could to rescue that little girl. That's a very um, heartbreaking story. Yeah. 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 Interestingly, Interestingly, about that story, that story and a couple of others show me that there are still good journalists at places like NBC and CBS, but you have to read the story. You cannot rely on, um, on the, the broadcast for your news. If you go to the same story on their website and read it, you will find the truth buried in the, in the print that you won't find in the broadcast. Melissa, I'm sure you have many starstruck fans. Tell us about your days as an actress and screenwriter. No, I really don't have so many starstruck fans. Um, I'm, I'm pretty low, low key, you know, and 
I'm not known as a famous actress. I'm known as the lady around my neighborhood who greets everybody saying, it's nice to see your smiling face. But I'll tell you this. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Uh, and this is really important for somebody who's running for, for federal office. Yes. Because I've lived in Los Angeles for many years and, you know, been in films and known people who were famous and been on red carpets and stuff. This is not the glamour of Washington doesn't impress me. I could care less about it. I'm going to Washington to do a job. And I will never become a creature of Washington because California is my home. Los Angeles is my home. And that's really important because the incumbent who I'm running against, he is a creature of Washington. If you look at his financial disclosures, Brad Sherman no longer has a house in, Santa, in Los Angeles. to get to your opponent. Yes. He only has a house in Washington now. I don't, I don't know how he can claim to, you know, represent the district when he really doesn't live here. So what do you propose to do different? Oh, so much. Yesterday, I met with a woman at the Chatsworth Chamber of Commerce, and she said they were, they're preparing for this festival this weekend, a big block party. And I'm going to have a booth there at Chatsworth Block Fest. Everybody who hears this broadcast, please come see me. Um, I will be sharing my booth with a, a gentleman who's running for county supervisor named Craig Grill. He's running as an independent um, and doing quite well. So it's really uh, an interesting time. But the lady at the Chamber of Commerce said she kept calling Brad Sherman and asking him to participate in their festival. And he doesn't return their calls anymore. I told her I will never be that person. I, I'm running to serve. I am not running for any kind of self-aggrandizement. The other thing that I will do differently. So I started out running against Ted Lieu. Because, and one of the reasons that I feel strongly Ted Lieu has to go, and Brad Sherman is the, the twin faces of this problem. The, the Pacific National Home for Disabled Volunteer Soldiers is in their district. It's currently in Lou's district, and it, the new district, the new boundaries have it in Sherman's district, which is why I'm running against Sherman. I will make UCLA, I will evict UCLA from all of the buildings that they are occupying and preventing our veterans from having the housing that they deserve. UCLA has plenty of money, 400 acres of their own. They can find places for those offices on their own property. Those buildings are for our veterans. I will get our veterans out of those plastic boxes that, that, that Arnold Schwarzenegger disingenuously donated as if it was some great thing. No, those, those tiny homes, they call them. I call them Tupperware. Um, they're eight foot by eight foot plastic boxes. 
The reason they donated all of those is to keep the veterans out of the buildings. These are solid structures. There's plenty of room for the people that are in those boxes. There's plenty of room for them in the buildings on the grounds right now. But Schwarzenegger and his allies at Village for, Vet, Village for Vets um, and Governor Newsom, they want to take over that land. It is some of the most valuable real estate in the country. In the heart of West Los Angeles, between Westwood, UCLA, and Brentwood, which is a very expensive neighborhood. All of, there's already streets. There's old growth trees. The developers are dying to get their hands on it. And interestingly, the story of how they're going to do it is being told on the show Billions. They just said it in New York. So on the show, Mike Prince, the billionaire hedge fund guy, wants to get his hands on this public land. So he decides he's going to bring the Olympics to New York. Exactly the same. So Berkshire Hathaway wants to get its hands on the veterans' land. So all of these developers work together to bring the 2028 Olympics to Los Angeles. Mike Prince in the show Billions, his intention is that he will build athletic housing and athletic facilities, you know, uh, Olympic uh, sports facilities on this public land, which he will then convert to his private property. That's exactly the plan that's being that that they that they intend for the soldiers' home. Wow. Mike Prince is giving the city of New York all these brand new subway trains and paying to build the subway to serve this the, the Olympics. There is a subway station being built right now at lightning speed at the corner of Wilshire Boulevard and Federal, which is the subway to nowhere right now. There's hardly anything at that corner. They say it's for the hospital, for the veterans hospital, but it's half a mile from the hospital. So it's exactly mirroring. The TV show is mirroring what's happening in Los Angeles. Wow. Just set in New York. Unbelievable. We are out of time. Thank you, Melissa. You do amazing work. Incredible, great work for the American people and society at large. I wish you the best of luck. Thank, Thank you so much, you so much Bella. Thank you. I really appreciate being on your show. You're a gracious hostess, and, and, and you ask really important, probing questions, and, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. To Have a wonderful news. night. Yes, you too. Thank you to Vin News and to our audience for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.